Welcome to The Pathless Path. I'm Paul Millard, and in this podcast, we examine the invisible scripts that run our lives and dare to imagine new stories for work and life. Hello, and welcome to a special edition of The Pathless Path podcast from Taiwan. Ta-da! Uh, <laughs> We're here currently in a podcast studio in Taipei. So you titled the Google Doc for this Power Couples podcast. Talk to me about that. What does power couple mean to you? You can look at me. You don't have to look okay. at the camera. <laughs> but this is how power couple look. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, it was just for fun. I don't think we're a power couple. I what just, does power I just, couple mean to you? Power couple means power couple means that we are both living with authenticity. It means that we're both trying to live the most alive version of ourselves instead of giving up and negotiating with suboptimal that's interesting mm-hmm. my idea of power couple is like two full-time working executives all right so now we're going to <laughs> today in this episode we're going to talk about our money insecurity or mainly my money insecurity well, later what, what does that have to do with uh that, that's what i'm talking about like executives equals money equals power but i want to redefine uh, power all right so today's itinerary uh topics we're going to go through. Uh, we're going to talk about work, uh, how we've started thinking about that and integrating it into our lives six months into parenthood. We're going to talk about Taiwan. We've been here for about a month now. Uh, we're also going to talk about the question of where to live, where to spend our time and how we're thinking about that. We're going to try to talk about money and that will probably come up when we're talking about work and uh, also try to integrate some things of celebrating successes for the other people at the end. Mm-hmm. Does that sound good? Anything mm-hmm. you want to add? Sounds good to me. All right. Sounds good. So first thing, work. How are we thinking about work? I, I, think, it, I think it'd be interesting just to start with like, like, what is your perception of how I think about work? <laughs> it's like everything I write about. But uh-huh. what is work for me? I think before we go into this conversation, it's just easier for me to point out that I am super insecure talking about this problem, this question with you right now. Nice. I get you. I get. To- oh, <laughs> thanks, Joe Hassan. Without you, I would not want to go into this conversation. I think for you. My understanding of how you think about work before was that work has two parts. The paid work you do before the book is this is excruciating for you. Like something you have to make, you something you have to devote your time to, something you don't really enjoy that much in order to exchange for income. But now, I think after the book sells, my perception of how you feel about work is... You love most of the work you do. Mm. But I think I can still see you turn on a different mode of working or a different mode of existing when you are working on your writing stuff, your pathless past stuff versus when you're working on your strategy stuff. Yeah, that's about right. That's that's pretty fun. I think I knew you thought this, but uh, I think it's hard to convey that you can like everything you do to someone that's still trying to like find that mm-hmm. does that make sense mm-hmm. are you still searching for that like i told you before i don't think there is such thing called a dream job or a dream work 
because I think no matter for me, no matter how much I love one thing, as long as it comes to money making stuff, it's all pain.、Mm. So it will just all stain everything I do, like my quote unquote passion, my love for art, my love for writing and stuff. And so, did I answer your question? Yeah, yeah, I think that's helpful context, and we can just jump into the money stuff. So, what are some of the money scripts you grew up with? Because it seems like the money script there is like money equals bad. Uh huh. Um, I can talk about my money script, but I also want to acknowledge the fact that even though I grew up with a script, I do have a different choice of making my life. But my money script, my dad used to tell me that we are not the kind of people who. Can get very rich through entrepreneurship, but we are not the kind of people who can get rich or who can earn money without putting the hard work. So we just need to put our head down doing hard work. And we have this weird thing where my family love my family loves traveling abroad.、Um, and my my mom's strategy of traveling abroad is we save every single dollar and cents possible in daily life, so we can spend like a. King when we go abroad, so we will. If I want to buy a boba tea that costs seventy five cents, my mom will be like, "Don't spend a twenty five cents on a boba tea. Think about how much money you can save over the long term if we go, so we can go abroad. And then we go when we go travel abroad, we just casually drop hundreds of U.S. dollars because we saved those money from the boba tea, which does not make sense at all. So I think there is a weird mentality of. If is is in terms, oh my god! I suddenly found out something about myself. <laughs> If it's in terms of something you like, go unhinge and spending、yeah. money for me for that. For me now, it's like learning, self improvement stuff, and for some like material stuff, especially daily needs, be as cheap as possible and save as much as possible. And then every extra single dollar that is not necessarily to be to be spent on that certain object. You should be guilty about it, and you should blame yourself, and you should feel shame about spending that money. So you internalize only the save money script, but not the spend lavishly. And I think you like spending on travel, but maybe not spending on like a expensive hotel. Right. So no, I think I think I do both. So I will be like I will be calculating unreasonably. So say okay if. We spend this much. Say we spend a thousand bucks and extra more dollar on Airbnb. Then that would be start converting. Oh my God! For this a thousand dollar, I could I could be using it for um ten sessions so personal training, or I can use it for like twenty sessions so physical therapy, or like twenty sessions of art class. So suddenly that amount of money equals a hundred different other stuff that I can do, and so I would be like. No, let's just like live in the cheapest place possible, and just like live like a dumb, so we can do other stuff. Yeah. So, how this ties back to work? Like, how how does the money tie to work for you? So, money, money is something. So, you grew up with this idea that you can't make money; you just have to put your head down and earn whatever is given to you, and then. You have to save as much as possible、mm-hmm. for the things you like, but you just internalize the script of save on everything as much as possible.、Uh, but when in terms of online course, I just keep buying it. <laughs>、um, I think it's interesting. So, like, 
So how can you spend $1,000 on an online course and you struggle to spend $5 more? So I always I always told Paul, this is a good investment. And Paul like, you should be rethinking. Have you read ever, have you re- finished Rami Sadie's book? This is not investment. You should redo your finance. Okay. I will be like, this is an investment. If I get more confident, if I get over my shame, then I will be a badass entrepreneur and then we can earn millions of dollars, which never happened because I bought online course and I feel like I finished online course, which I never opened. I never really opened the course. And um, I think another thing that you touched on is very interesting. The other day we were having a very silly conversation, which for me is not silly at all because I'm a worst case scenario person. So I'm always thinking like, okay, if today I become a single mother, then oh, I am able to take on any job I can think of to raise to raise my daughter. Like I can wash dishes in a restaurant. I can hand. I can like be the person that hand out, do like hand out information on the streets, or I can like scrub the floor. I'll do whatever I can to raise Michelle. And then <laughs> I think you got so shocked. You're not even thinking about that level of um, work. You're thinking like. Don't you dare to think about taking a fifteen or twenty dollar hourly rate job. You better think about like how to make more money to raise Michelle. And yeah. I was like, I wasn't even thinking about it. I'm just thinking like I can watch this just in a restaurant. <laughs> well, well, I think this That's- is like one big difference between us. Like, uh, I am very good at aiming at an ambiguous long term vision. Just put my head down in the short term and just like work on stuff. My constraint is I don't. I only work on things I'm excited about. So I like strategy you stuff and mm-hmm. some of the consulting I do less than boundless, but it is far superior. Like the total collection of activities I'm doing is so delightful and enjoyable, like and incredible. Like I'm already living my dream life. Mm-hmm. So this is some. <laughs> this is a new information for me. <laughs> until did like, read, did you read my book? <laughs> I do, but I think I need a refresh. So, um, we're talking about like, how we spend our time in Taipei, which we'll go into detail later. But every time you go out to coffee shop to work, I have this extreme amount of guilt. I was like, oh my God, this is a daddy goes to work, mommy stay home taking care of the kids situation. And like, how I cannot imagine, I feel my heart breaks when Paul has to leave the house and say goodbye to Michelle. He must have wanted to stay at home and then spend every minute with Michelle just like me instead. I feel so bad for him. He he started his pathless path, but he has to work. He has to like separate himself from parenthood and dedicate himself in the co-working space going to the work mode, which he hates the most. I feel so bad for you until I learned that you actually love strategy stuff. You actually love figuring out the problem because it's excruciating for me to figure out anything strategic-wise. And I think just by talking to you now, I realized generating guilt and having the emotion of guilt is one way for me to feel like I'm participating in this family it's my way of sharing responsibility without taking action. <laughs> but it doesn't make me feel like I'm I part of it. But but see, if so if I feel so happy, I was like, oh, Mo goes to work, he has a whatever, I live my life, I will feel so irresponsible. But if I, if I feel an extreme, tremendous amount of guilt and I feel like I'm actually being responsible. Well, that's like the love language of Asian culture. Guilt? <laughs> Shame. Shame? I don't know if it's a love language. But. <laughs> I'm joking. Uh-huh. But um, yeah, I, I think it's complicated for me too. I 
don't want I'm scared of having to work full time. Like a full time job scares the shit out of me. If I had to do that, I think like I think you're projecting that I wouldn't want to do that. That's true. And I'm also but, projecting that when you are doing strategy work, you are in the full time corporate work worker oh, mode. So much better. I get to decide everything. So I think that's one thing that's very important that improve our relationship these days, which I'm taking Joe Hudson's connection course on. And I realized how many assumptions I have about our yeah. marriage, our family, and you that I never <clears throat> clarify. And those assumptions are what is causing conflicts in us. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, that was kind of your survival mechanism growing up. You had worlds in your head good and bad mm -hmm. and i think like observing taiwanese culture people do guess mm -hmm. right i think there's this dichotomy of guess culture versus ask culture mm -hmm. like the u.s is a ask culture just ask them mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like i i don't ever guess what people mm -hmm. think i just assume i don't know not sure if this is hard for american to understand so i'm gonna name an example <laughs> So say like Americans are pretty slow in a lot of things. Right. Say the the other day our family member quit his job. So we bought some products from him and then the the company just sent us direct message to say, Hey, this person is no longer working here, your product is invalid now. Instead of my parents confronting the person or not even use the word confronting, asking or tasking the person, Hey, did you leave your job? They spend like five freaking days toiling over their emotion. How can he did this? It must be him. It's not a fraud message. He he never told us that he left. I'm gonna confront him on Sunday or maybe not. I'm just gonna maybe ask his family member how is he doing now. Said, mom, just text him. No, I cannot text him. It's too embarrassing for him to text him. And I just kept guessing for five days. I was like, wow, this is where my assumptions come from and my tendency of assumption come from. Yeah, I. I think my family is a very direct family. I don't think that's all. Um, I don't think it's an American thing. I think we're probably more direct than Asian cultures. But um, I think it's also you and your family as well. But then I'm the other extreme end. I'm just like, I don't like to worry. So I'll just ask people. I'm like not afraid of conflict. I'd just be like, yo, what's the deal mm -hmm. with the job? Mm -hmm. I know. I know you're not afraid of conflict, and that's such an important life skill. Yeah, but um, yeah. So where were we? Yeah. So work. I think the optimal amount of work is not zero. Mm -hmm. And this is something I talk about and write a lot, a lot about in my work. But I think for me, what I've determined is continuous full time work through for the entirety of adulthood is what I'm trying to avoid. Mm -hmm. but zero work is not ideal. Mm -hmm. What do you I mean think, by work? I think working towards something, right? So my book was one of the most enjoyable creative projects, and this is why I've been pushing you to just pick something mm -hmm. because you don't actually know until you go through something hard and long what you want. If right? you know a project never or will never earn you any money, would you define it as work? Yeah. I think work is my writing. It's it's just being part of something that's either on growing or you're mm -hmm. moving towards something. You know how I would define it? 
suffering, will, toil. No, <laughs> I will call the thing that you keep doing and working hard and knowing that you will never never make money. I will call it like being selfish, like me doing art. I feel like I'm so selfish doing art. Oh, it's just work. It's an ongoing it's, project. But it's not making me any money, so I think I'm being selfish. Like I feel like work has some. Like morality to it. Like I feel like if I am doing art with the goal that it will eventually bring our family income, then I will call it. Oh, I have a like I'm doing work now. But then if because I'm not I'm not doing art with the mind with the goal of having to make money in mind. I feel like I am doing a fun project that is selfish. Yeah, that's you gotta work through that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is one of the core ideas. I try to talk about my writing is that the idea of work has been corrupted by modern employment.、Mm-hmm. Modern employment is just a type of work. When we look at work as this expansive thing where we're engaged and connected to something, there's so much more opportunity for thinking about it,、mm-hmm. right? And so it's really hard because when you interact with other people, say. Are you working? What are you working on? And what they're asking is, do you have a job? How much money do you make? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's your title? All these other things, right? And so I have made a lot of money from my book now, but three, five, six, seven years ago, I was just writing. I'm writing, and I keep writing, and I keep writing, and I keep writing. I wasn't trying to make money, and this is a newer, modern creator type of work where you just commit to stuff. And I think the upsides are that you can actually make money doing these things now,、mm-hmm. and we haven't updated our scripts to include that as like worth doing, which is why my cousins make fun of me for being unemployed, and <laughs> people、mm-hmm. are like, "Oh, why don't you just get a job?" And like, it just people don't understand just working on something without certain payoff. To be fair, I don't think your cousin made fun of you being unemployed. But my sister make fun well, they, of me. They say stuff like、right. that. My sister, okay, my sister doesn't make fun of me, and she genuinely wrote me a, a card like congratulating how lucky I am. This is what she said in Chinese. She said, 恭喜你找到一个让你可以吃软饭的人 In English, it means congratulations, you found a life lifelong sugar daddy that allow you to not work your whole life. And I look at the <laughs> card. I was like, I was like, uh, I told Paul, and Paul was like. <laughs> Your sister has no clue what she's talking about. She does not understand you at all. She does not see how much like suffering I put myself into by like, like confronting this thing that I'm doing all the things I love, knowing that I am only spending money, investing on my self improvement, investing my art, my movement, and not earning any money. How bad I feel about that. Yeah, there's some assumptions that that is actually a goal we're chasing. Right. I mean, like find, It, finding a sugar daddy. Yeah, I mean it's it's a traditional mindset toward the world, right? And I think the reality is I don't allow you to do anything, right? I because what do you mean by that? What I mean is it's not my allowance to give up. Like you have autonomy over your life, right? We will make decisions shared, right? But I'm not saying, "Hey, I give you permission to not work and spend money."、Mm-hmm. We're we're in a constant 
and I think this is just like your sister is still younger. My sister is projecting her desire onto me. And maybe hasn't experienced a relationship like ours. <laughs> like we mm -hmm. talk constantly about how are we spending our time? What are you working on? What are your goals? Mm -hmm. How can I support you? And I know you're working on all these things, right? I'm better at making money. <laughs> and I also have the privilege of growing up in the American economy where we're like trained to be workers. And I also worked in places that trained me to be hyper competent in the world, mm -hmm. right? So I know I can make money more easily than you. And so I'm indifferent if you want to live a life around making money or not. What I, I know you want to feel proud of yourself and feel challenged and feel like you're moving towards something. That's all I want for you. Mm -hmm. And like... I just want to figure out how to support you with that while also figuring out how to manage this with having kids and stuff. Mm -hmm. And if you go into my inner world, I will be, I can like, do I have your permission to externalize my, my inner critics to you now? Yeah. <laughs> I'm asking, I'm asking, well, you the, I'm asking the audience. <laughs> I, I assume they say yes. Here's what I think. Oh my God, this is what the audience are thinking of me. Jesus Christ, how did she, how, why would he marry Angie? Like, she is so mm. useless. I, I can't believe Paul is saying those stuff. Like, Paul should be married to someone who's more ambitious, who is already making money, who's the baddest like him. Like, what the fuck is Paul doing? Like, just leave <laughs> this woman. She's so worth, look at the way she carried herself in, in the YouTube, in the YouTube video. She's so incompetent. She's not, she's just not made for this marriage. Just, just give up, Paul. Just give up. <laughs> well, none of this surprises me. And this is this is why it's crazy to see someone project that they think you've won the lottery. Because I know how much pressure you put on yourself. And I know you want more. And I know you want to achieve things. Mm -hmm. We're never going to solve my insecurity <laughs> in this podcast episode. So are we focusing on all money screwed now or are we going to... Talk about other stuff. No, I think people are <laughs> interested in this. I think I think the the segue here is how we're thinking about having kids because when we were just two people and like I was able to generate enough money to support our life, which is not that expensive. We were living pretty simply. We had cheap rents in most places. It got a little more expensive in the US, but we we don't have a house, we don't have a car, we're not like going out to restaurants that often. Um but with a kid, we now have, like, somebody has to watch the child. Mm -hmm. Right now, we're paying a nanny about $15 an hour. $13. $2 makes a lot of differences for me. Um, in Taiwan, which is, it's more accessible, and that's a good wage for somebody. But, um, yeah, it, it's harder now, right? Because, one, I feel more responsibility to earn money to pay for the things I want for my kid. Like, mm -hmm. I don't need any stuff. <laughs> I'm pretty simple. I could eat cheap meals and go without buying new clothes for the rest of my life, though my mother might be disappointed <laughs> in that approach. But yeah, and then I think we naturally fall into these gender roles. I also think you're an incredible mother. Like, and I think this is something we've talked a lot about is you're natural. Like you're how I'm good at making money and working, like you're good. 
at being a mother. And I, I think you're still finding your groove in that. And we still don't know what we're doing, but it's like very clear to me. It's like, wow, she's amazing mm-hmm. at this. I think I'll never be able to successfully convince you that I'm a piece of shit. So <laughs> I might keep trying, but I already gave up that you might. Although although sometimes when I'm in my PMS, I still think that you're going to leave me because you met some, more ambi- some other more ambitious women. But, but wait. Okay, so in Chinese, like there is a very reasonable way why you're acting like this, despite the fact that I'm not a traditionally successful woman. Which is you owe me something in our previous life. <laughs> like I did a huge favor to you that you have to try so hard to earn money to provide things for Michelle. What's That's the, the only reasonable explanation. What's the phrase? There's no phrase. It's in just, Chinese, how do you say it? No. Just, oh, it's just like it's just, a concept. Oh, okay. <laughs> what do I owe you in past life? I don't know. Maybe you are. I don't know. Maybe you. You're. Your parents sell you to be so, my kid, and then I bought you. And put put yourself in my shoes. What is? What do you think? I'm thinking. Mm, life is great. You gotta ride today. Awesome. <laughs> gotta eat some more dumpling later. Oh my god, dumpling in Taipei is so great. Yeah, I'm a pretty simple guy. Um, also, you're an amazing mother. I mean, you must have some confidence in that. I know. I, I'm a I very think playful find- mother. I think you seem very in the flow. Like you don't pause and get worried. You just you make decisions. Like you buy food, you buy stuff for her, you go do stuff for her. Like you're very good at making decisions. Have you realized that? Mm, Have you noticed that? I don't know about that. I think I don't know if that's counted as being good. I think just yeah, that's it, that's, a, that's a motherly instinct. Yeah. Well, I think that's like that could fall into this very broad definition of work is like I look at raising children as work too. No, that's not. Not, if it's work, not then... in the way most people see it, but in the sense that like it's something I want to spend time on. It's something I don't know, like I want to get better at over time. It's something that I know is going to be challenging and I'm going to do for a long time. It's called emotional labor. If sociology that same but that's like the, the framing that is like heavy painful toil again yeah that's true no i love i love being a mother i would yeah. never trade it for anything else yeah the emotional labor framing was to in the 1970s there's this movement called wages for housewives and they were trying to make an equivalence out of like the work that housewives are doing that's funny. So, you know, I actually feel better better about myself after we start hiring nanny in Taiwan because now I can start converting the time I took care of Michelle in terms of how much we paid nanny. So hmm. I'll be like, okay, if I take take care of Michelle for five hours today, that means I earned, I earned those 65 bucks because it's me <laughs> taking care of Michelle instead of hiring a nanny. The same logic is every time I return something on Amazon, and then get a refund. Don't <laughs> tell you how well, much money we make on the refund. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, and I think the framing there was yeah, there is real work being done. When you have a family, everyone's contributing, right? And I think you do a lot of hidden things for me, just like supporting me in what I do. And the I think an interesting thing about. The things that come natural to you, you just dismiss. 
I think that's everyone's, not everyone's, most people's tendencies. Yeah, because when I'm like, oh, you support me, and you're like, ah, whatever. Yeah. Or you taking care of Michelle, it's like, ah, it's easy, of course. It's like, it's whatever. It doesn't count. You know what comes to my mind when you say that? You say, I support you. And my thought, my immediate thought is, oh, it's because I don't have the ability to earn money myself. Like, I have to let you do your work. But these are just scripts. You've, you've already earned money. Five bucks. <laughs> Over the past year. <laughs> That's not true. You made like 3000 in January. I just don't talk about it. That made me feel even worse. Um, yeah, but we as a family... And I think we've gotten better at starting. We're having these conversations. We as a family want to have kids, mm-hmm. right? We want to also work. You want to work on projects that matter to you. I want to work on projects that matter to me. Let's say you want to work and I want to create because I still wouldn't identify mine as work. Yeah. And maybe that's the interesting tension there. For you, like money is bad, work is bad. No, for me... It's not no. It's not bad, but I'm not courageous enough to pursue them. Yeah. So, yeah. L- let's talk about something you're trying to commit to. Now, you want to write a book. Don't say that to the <laughs> public. That's called Murphy's Law. You just ruin everything. Cut this. <laughs> All right. Why can't you talk about it? Because it's called Murphy's Law. Whenever I know, tr- say whatever something to them. Whatever can go wrong will go wrong. That is no. not. That does not apply here. Or whatever law it is. <laughs> is the law? The law is if you tell something to other people, you're screwed. That thing will never happen. Why are you so convinced of that? Because that happened so many times in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Long pause. <laughs> so what are you working on? <laughs> I'm writing a book. <laughs> I guess I guess I have no way to avoid it. But this is interesting. I have this hunch that I just need to keep working on that thing that I'm writing. And I have probably writing in English. So I stopped for maybe a month or two after I claimed that I want to write a book to Paul. But things come back in a different way. I start writing in Chinese when I come back to the Taiwan, which is totally unexpected. I thought I would hate Taiwanese culture so much. I will hate the way I'm being treated so much that I just want to use English writing as a way to express myself differently, as a way to still asserting that type of existence of me through writing. But then I found out, oh, holy shit, like I love writing in Chinese after I'm here. Like I have, I'm, I just enjoy the way I can use vocabulary in a completely different level. I can be expressing or like describing emotion in a, such an accurate way that I can never do in English. And so I started writing Chinese and I couldn't stop. Like, I just keep going. And I enjoy writing in. I I just love the way that I can. I don't have to think about how to express it and just, like, flow into it. And so I started to get momentum with it to the extent that uh, after a few arguments, I, I decided there, there are, like, cycles in a month where I feel more ambitious. And I just like, oh, I'm not going to be a piece of shit my whole life. I'm going to call fish out today and email some publisher. <laughs> so I just went. And then I did some intense work, draft a book proposal, sent it to publisher. I get one reply, which I feel very good about it already. And so I think, like, doesn't matter that publisher is legit. It doesn't matter the offer is good or not. Just the fact that I'm building momentum made me pretty 
at least, at least like one five percent more confident that I will keep writing this thing that I claim that I want to do. Yeah. Now. And I, I think. Knock on wood. I think you're similar to me in that you need to do creative work, whether it's art. Or writing or something. It's yeah, just I have zero like, tolerance on doing stupid work, like no brain work. Yeah, and I think like this is where like I'm. <laughs> you always say like I want to be this badass entrepreneur, or this like crushing it executive, and that's not what makes you special. <laughs> I don't think. Like maybe uh, I will be one day, and I'll be extra special. But I think the only way you'd arrive there is if you actually leaned into the、mm. the way you could do it on your own terms.、Mm-hmm. I think sometimes you think you want to be like I don't I don't even know the archetype,、mm-hmm. but like just like grinding, pushing hard,、mm-hmm. <laughs> SEO expert. <laughs> but yeah, I th- I think this is the hard thing about life is like the only true path is our own path. The pathless path, <laughs> right? But we get so caught up and distracted sometimes for years at a time, trying to live out other people's lives.、Mm-hmm. Like I think what I realized on my original path in working in consulting is I actually wasn't going after anything. I just ended up ten like I think I went after the shiny objects, and then you end up as this person, and you're like, I'm not even this. Mm-hmm. Like, and that can be scary, and it was scary. But like, people look at me now, and they're like,、oh, "Paul has it figured out." I still don't have it figured out, but I think the collection of activities and my interests and like how I feel about my day to day—it's like, oh, this feels sustainable. It feels like I'm in a flow. It feels like I'm moving towards something, even if I、mm-hmm. don't know what comes next. And I think the key is like just quitting a lot of stuff all the time. But I think it's been harder for you because you have a lot of shame of quitting, and you also get scared when you start stuff too. So like sometimes you don't even know what type of quitting you need to do. Should you quit more? Or quit less?、Mm-hmm. Does that resonate?、Mm-hmm. I. Hey there, it's Paul. I just wanted to take a second and thank you for listening to the podcast. If you'd like to support more, I'd love if you'd share this podcast episode or the podcast as a whole with one other friend. Sharing it like that is the easiest way you can help me grow the podcast, get better guests, and help me continue on this long game. Next, if you're enjoying this conversation, you'd probably enjoy my book. You can check out my book, The Pathless Path, which has now sold over forty thousand copies. You can check that out on pathlesspath.com. And finally, if you're looking to find the others on unconventional paths, I've started a community, The Pathless Path Community, where you can find others on unconventional paths. You can check that out on pathlesspath.com/membership. All those links you can find below. And back to the episode. In terms of like, I w- I want to. Dive into something you just mentioned. Like, you want to keep going, and you don't you don't know where it's leading you, but you have a you have an intuition that you need to go keep going, and that's how I feel about writing now. I didn't feel about writing a few months before this, and I I think one key transition is I learned a different framework thinking about committing to writing. So before I'm this 
Like I'm totally buying Stephen Pressfield's Pressfield's、yeah. framework, not framework. Like his story of how he tried, he just like taken over by resistance and didn't write a novel until he's fifty something. And I feel like that's the only way for artists to work, which is you suffer your whole life. You're trying to resist. You're trying to resist until one day you just can't stand yourself anymore, and then you you quit being your small, powerless self, and then you step up, and then everything change. And then, so I just keep thinking to myself, oh my god, when is that moment start going to come to me? Oh my god, I quit again. So that is it's not a moment for me yet. Maybe I need to wait till I'm fifty something. Until I read this book in Chinese, it's written by an author called Chen Shui. If there is any Chinese listener, and she's talking about she was never like Stephen Pressfield. Of course, she didn't make a comparison, but she she described herself like she she knew she has to write、mm. ever since she was very young, to the extent that she was so close in the night market, so she can keep writing.、And、even though she already started selling novels and people recognized her while she was selling purses at night market, people say, "Hey, are you that author?" They're like, "No, I'm not the author." She wants to separate the identity from her writing identity, so she can keep writing. And she was like, "I was never this procrastination person. Like, I only, all I want to do is write. I will just write like crazy. I write whenever I can, wherever I can, behind a stand in night market, on the car when I was transporting goods." I just know I want to write, and so after I read that, I was like, "Oh shit! I can actually like writing and commit to it. I don't have to feel the resistance."、Mm. So I feel like I was presenting a different model to writing, and that's how I started to develop this more positive relationship toward writing. That's awesome. Yeah, I think like I I think people think they have to like figure it out. Like I think finding our groove is really hard. I was telling you, I was looking back in my first year of writing my newsletter more consistently, and I had this story of like, oh, in Taiwan five years ago, that's when I committed, but I had already published like thirty issues and was writing consistently.、Mm-hmm. I think it just took me a year to realize, oh, I keep doing this. <laughs> this is probably something I should just keep doing.、Mm-hmm. But it's it's hard. I think I think I don't struggle as much with the self narrative. As you do,、mm-hmm. I'm just like, huh? All right. I think for some reason, I started to question my narrative too,、um, especially now after Joe Hassan introduced this power, this framework of wonder in my life. Like, how am I so certain this is who I am? Like, there are so many things I don't know about myself, and how am I certain that's the only way of existing? But before, I always claimed that I love doing art. Art is my calling, and writing just a place for me to release my anger, release my frustration. So, I wrote in order to get away from negative emotion. But I do, I do art in order to walking toward a positive emotion because I always feel abundant, always feel thriving, and so writing is not my thing. But then, you say like you. T- I remember you told me many times. I just don't. I don't really understand myself. I keep writing, and I write like a maniac <laughs> when I wanted to write. Yeah, I was、you、like, yeah, that's because I need、writing. to release release some bad emotion. But I was like, what if he's right? What if like if I really hate writing so much? Why do I feel the necessity of wanting to come back to writing over and over again? Doesn't matter. I stop for like a week or two or three or a month, and may what if what if The re- what if the feeling of not wanting to write is not because I don't like writing? It's because it's a resistance. 
is because I know that writing will make me become something that I'm afraid of, like something that more powerful than my small self am right now, and that's why I'm resisting. So I started to have this like wonder about my relationship with writing, and I think that's that's how I started to change. Yeah. Yeah. Your scripts about what you can't be are very persuasive、mm-hmm. and stories, but <laughs> in the positive direction, sometimes they're just not as clear. Whereas I think for me, what I can't be is just like,、eh, what I don't even think about that. You know, your friend described me well. Who? Stephen Worley. Yeah. He said, "I'm very, I'm very eloquent with my vulnerability, <laughs> and in a more like so like to be sure is like I am very good at shitting myself." Yeah, yeah. You're at describing the ways you're suffering and the things that are holding you back, and you have like a you have a whole world of characters and、mm-hmm. stories, and it's、mm-hmm. like wow, that's impressive because <laughs> <laughs> I don't even I don't have any of that up here. <laughs> Yeah, and I think it's hard. I didn't really connect. I didn't realize writing was a thing I could do until I was thirty-three.、Mm-hmm. Like I had been writing stuff all the time. In my high school, I was writing articles for the paper for fun. I would just keep. Oh, I didn't know that. I wrote. I wrote this article about、um, all my friends had minivans, and how it was a cool car. All our moms wanted to get rid of their minivans because they wanted cooler crossover SUVs. So I wrote this article, and it was super fun. And I remember just enjoying writing the article, it being funny. I wrote this article about a friend in college. It was really funny for this paper. I had a blog in college. I had a blog after college. Oh wow! I didn't know that. I had、that. a blog in grad school. I had a blog for my health. I was writing a Quora. It's like, oh, you dummy. <laughs> It was always there.、Mm-hmm. I just never saw it as a thing worth doing because my entire life was centered around being employed and getting jobs. Yeah, but for me, it's not like that. For me, I didn't write before. Yeah. Before I met you, and I re- I remember the first article, the first essay I wrote, is when I quit my job in tech, and then before I before my employment as a personal trainer. And then you keep telling me we're in we're in Pi, I remember we're in we're in Thailand and we're in Pi. And you've been telling me that I should share my stories through writing many many times, and so like you started to put that seeds in me, and I feel like, is it is it is this really worth sharing? Like, I feel so I feel so lost. I don't know where it's gonna lead me, and I feel so shameful of like not meeting my parents' expectation. But then you keep telling me like people doesn't want. A perfect story. People want your vulnerability, and so I think that's how Stephen Pressfield or Elizabeth Gilbert said, describe about creativity is actually like an energy. Oh, sorry, an energy like floating in the universe. Either you are going to tell their story, or they will find other people to tell the story. And I feel like at that time, my my creativity got my muse choose me to tell the story. So like we were deep in the in the mountain of Thailand, and then we're staying in this crazy. Crazy house, and I just couldn't sleep at night. I just feel like I need to say something. Like I need to start writing, and maybe I also want to impress you because we were still dating at that time. <laughs> and so, like, I think it was like four a.m. or three a.m. I just grab my computer and I start Facebook blog, and I just start typing. 
such a shame that Facebook removed its blog. I couldn't find that article anymore. <laughs> But I remember the minute you woke up in the middle of the night and then saw me writing that blog, and you were so happy, and I'm so happy that I impressed you. But that's my first writing. But you weren't stars. impressing me. I am partially impressing you, but mostly I, wanting I to tell my story. Like every time you write, you're so connected to yourself, and that makes me so happy. But that's the thing. That's the first time I wrote, and I didn't know, I didn't know that it's the feeling of writing, and I didn't write again until we were in Mexico, and I start the artist way, and I feel like I wanted to write again. Yeah. I start because like writing is for me is way more vulnerable than doing podcasts. And do, doing podcasts, you can just use your guest word. That's like. Like um, use it to like hide what you really think. But writing, you have to be responsible for your words.、Yeah. So I was so scared of writing in the beginning. Well, I think two things. One is I got to talk to you every day, and you're an interesting person. <laughs> Thank you. And you're have really unique and interesting perspectives on the world, and it gives me all sorts of ideas for living my life and us together.、Mm-hmm. And then two, anytime you put any ideas into the world, you attract like outsized response. I write for years. I'll get like,、oh, this is an amazing article. Thank you. You write like one post. You get like six people emailing you. It's like, Angie, this changed my life. <laughs> Here are the seven paragraphs about how I feel and how this transformed me. And it's like just the outsized response, and it's like very clear, like. Yeah, that's probably what you should be following. I am still practicing accepting compliments. Like even to this day, when I see the replies on my Substack, I will be like, "Why are they so nice to me? Like, why why do they think that I worth <laughs> their time? Like even leaving a comment on me, on my on my Substack." And I think like we're talking about this imposter syndrome. Like whenever you told me th- that my stuff is good, I will be like. Paul is just being a positive person, and if I need to trace back, I think it's because when I start, like I,、uh, being in elite schools really kills me. It just made me feel like I'm su- such a loser compared to all the other elite students in my class. Especially when I was studying literature in Taiwan, all my classmates are way better writer than me. I didn't like, I would not call myself a writer at all. Seeing how they write, and like I was surprised they even want to make friends with me. And so when you said I should write my stories, I my first instincts like, what it what are my friends gonna say if they, what are they gonna think if they saw my writing? Turns out they love my writing, but still I'm I'm like they're just being nice to me.、Yeah. They're way better writers than me. I mean they're all book authors and editors now, so I have a legit excuse for being fear like having this fear of writing. Not like my writing is not good enough. All excuses are legit. Maybe. But they're just excuses. Okay. <laughs> Next topic, Taiwan. So, how do our roles shift in Taiwan? We've been I, here about、uh-huh. uh, we've been here a month, a little over a month. Yeah. So, background: I moved here in 2018, basically five years ago. I had not met you yet. Five years ago, we had texted because we matched on Tinder six months prior while I visited for a week, but we never met. And then, which is a good thing that we never met at the time. I wasn't prepared. <laughs> yeah. So five years ago, I moved to Taiwan. I was about to meet you a few weeks from now. In five years ago,、um, we spent 
um, the next year and a half in Taiwan. We traveled abroad for two, a year plus and then returned to Taiwan for a year. And then we've been living in the U.S. for two years. We just returned for three, four months again. So what is it like coming back to Taiwan again this time after living the longest stretch in mm -hmm. like less uh, academic setting with me and my family and my friends? What was that like? And um, what's it like coming back to Taiwan? I feel like an A-D-U-L-T. Adult? Yes. <laughs> really? Congrats. <laughs> Welcome to adulthood. Um, I really struggle not being able to take care of things in the States. I know if I am, if I marry a Taiwanese immigrant and then we have to figure things out, I will figure things out. But it's just so easy to let Paul do all the logistics, finding finding um, insurance providers or doing taxes. Healthcare is terrible for Americans too. And you always say like... <laughs> it's the worst. It's smarter to... It's smarter that our division of labor is this way. I take of this stuff because it will take you way longer to do this. Yeah. And then so like... At first, I'll be like, no, let me do this. And then, but when I have to do this, I'll be like, oh my God, Paul can do this way better than me. Why doesn't, why doesn't he just take care of this? So like, I ended up just not doing anything. And so he, he like just take care of every logistics down our life. So I gradually feel like I am an infant relying on my husband, which I don't know anything about. He saw me set up an LLC. And when my friend asked me like, why do I choose LLC? I was like, oh my God, can you ask Paul? And I feel so embarrassed when I say, can you ask Paul? Because I'm, Turned out not the baddest entrepreneur who set up his own company. And that company is not <laughs> even making money. You do have an LLC, though. Yeah, but you, you cool. put everything. You set up everything. And so, like, I feel like I'm living such an imposter life. Like, seems like I have, like, you set up my substance. You set up my ghost website. You set up everything. And I just feel like I can't do anything. I feel like a, I feel like a kid. And... Coming back to Taiwan, I'm so happy that I will be the one responsible for dealing with everything in our life. My kids' health insurance, <laughs> booking train tickets, this like simple stuff, finding rental, like negotiating deals or like arguing with the government. I feel like a badass. I, or I just feel like a normal adult that can <laughs> take care of adult. things. And yeah. I wish like I it's not. It's not hard for me at all, and it's not tiring. It's not something that I've, I I consider as, like, a burden. I feel so happy that I'm capable of doing these things. I feel so happy that I'm able to find resources, um, judging which resources is the best for me. I'm able to use the, the smartest and the bitchiest language talk with people that I need <laughs> to argue with. I I just feel like I'm a normal human being again, and that's how I feel the first time. When I came back to Taiwan after I decided I don't want to go to the H-1B route, like seeking job and eventually become an immigrant through green card. Like I want to come back to Taiwan because I feel like I will be a normal human being. I feel like I'm really a citizen of a country. I don't, like, I was living in the States without health insurance. Yeah. And I was like, what, what if one day I have an injury? Like my par my parents may have to spend their all their Taiwanese money to pay for my insurance. And I don't feel like I'm a human being. I don't feel like I have the basic human rights until I came back to Taiwan. And even though this there is a lethargic energy and I have to deal with all the bureaucracy in Taiwan, it's not the best work culture, but at least I feel like an adult. And yeah. that's how I feel like coming back to Taiwan this time. And it's cool seeing you have that confidence. I think this is something that, people have a hard time understanding from the outside from cross-cultural couples like you're not like an asian american that grew up there you're like an immigrant and 
you've only spent very limited time. You're having to learn like very basic stuff. And the U.S. is a pain in the ass <laughs> mm-hmm. with like figuring out stuff like healthcare. I I enjoy the convenience of Taiwan, and mm-hmm. I don't even know what I'm doing half the time. Mm-hmm. But just being able to like do basic stuff, um, like even like healthcare, I know I just don't have to worry. Even if I had a major injury, I know like it's not going to bankrupt us, and they'll take care of us, mm-hmm. and they'll probably discount our bill because they'd like feel bad. That I didn't have insurance. Mm-hmm. It's just the kind That's of stuff that likely. happens in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel... it's it's also nice because I get to play the infant in Taiwan too. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what's going on sometimes too, mm-hmm. and I just stand there and let you take care of stuff. Or it feels so great to see you. <laughs> you look completely clueless. But I actually don't mind that because I'm so competent in the U.S. at getting stuff done. It's kind of a release to just feel like. I don't know what I'm doing. You know how like, bad I feel every time we're in New York City and then we have to go back to Connecticut and you book the M track for me. I don't know which which station we're going. It's so easy though. It's like on the yeah, phone. It's and like, I don't know. I don't even know which app I should download. I don't know which train are we going on. I don't know how long are we staying in the transition station. I like even the small stuff like that. Yeah, maybe it's like extremely painful for me. I was like, I can't. Why can't I even like understand the small things that is in booking train ticket? And now I'm just like. No worry, I booked everything, and I just love seeing your expression. Maybe that, you think you I'm know? better at. <laughs> I think I'm better at embracing uncertainty than you. Maybe for, for some just, things. For some things. I think because you have enough self confidence that you yeah. are a capable person. I'm an, and I'm very insecure. Well, I know I can figure stuff out in Taiwan too. It's just more convenient here too. Mm-hmm. I know, like people are so nice to like the struggling American. <laughs> Mm-hmm. In Taiwan, especially you know a little bit Chinese. Yeah, and you have a Taiwanese-looking baby. Yeah. Um, yeah. It it everything's figureoutable in Taiwan. Um, it can be frustrating though. But yeah, I, I kind of like feeling like an idiot again. I think mm-hmm. this is something I'm I'm working on a piece right now writing about this. Like, I I know a decent amount of like food Chinese, but if there's like a stand serving one thing, I have to like secretly like take a picture. You do <laughs> sometimes because mm-hmm. I know a lot of the people at the stands don't speak any mm-hmm. English, or sometimes don't even speak Mandarin. They only speak Taiwan, Taiwan Wa, and so I'll take a picture. I'm like, what is that? And then I'll like try to see it in Google Translate, and Google Translate's worthless for like traditional Chinese. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's like local North Noodle, thick medium. It's like this is that, that sounds about right. Yeah. This is pretty much what it means. Um, and I'm like, uh, mian, mian and they're like, so cute, huh? <laughs> huh? And I'll be saying it right, and sometimes they're just so shocked that I'm awake. I'm like, uh, I'm but, good, I'm good. I'll just like walk away. Yes, yeah, he'll be saying in perfect up. Chinese, like, cafe. And it'll be like, you want it hot? And then he'll be like, 热的, hot? <laughs> Insisting on speaking yeah, yeah. English to you. Um, yeah, and it, it it can be as embarrassing. And I think this is why people struggle. Like, I I think more people should do this kind of travel. Lean into a place for more than a month and, like, wander until you embarrass yourself fully. And you just learn that, like, it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if I've ever told you this. Sometimes I just don't eat. Because there's too much resistance of, like, me building up courage 
Really? To order That's something. And I'm just like... Is that why you keep buying 7-Eleven? Yeah. Rice balls? It is. Oh my every, god, I thought you every, thought it was <laughs> every, every new place is a new skill. Because I have to figure out what they actually serve. What do I want to order? How do mm-hmm. I order? And yeah, it, it's... I order. I went to a place after the gym last night, real quick, and I ordered these veggies, and I didn't know if I w- what I was gonna get, but mm-hmm. I got. Did you get snails? No, I got the like thin green tube uh, veggies with no garlic. Food. It's good. We'll go. I'll order it for you. But I'm doing it in Google Translate, and it said like um, shu sai. It just said shu sai veggies or ching sai. Um, it didn't translate it mm-hmm. to any English. I'm like, all right, here we go. Put the thin line. Let's mm-hmm. order. See what we get. You know, like, this might be a sensitive topic. And then I know you won't cut it. I just want to heads up as a sensitive topic. I think, at like, race really plays a part in my feeling powerless in the States. I don't think it's a sensitive topic. I think people are very comfortable talking right, so about I, these no, things. Because I self-discriminate myself. If I'm in an Asian country, say we're in Thailand, and I'm completely clueless and I marry a Thai husband who has to deal with everything for me, I might feel bad that he has to do with everything for me, but I won't feel like an infant. I will just feel like an aspect or a tourist or a like a wife from Taiwan. But when I'm in the States and I don't know how to deal with things in English and when I consider English as a better language than Chinese because of my upbringing or my like commercialism told me this is the way English is or like the way we admire American culture over our own local culture or just me, just me. I'm not generalizing out to any Tonys. But apologize, just yeah, me. Yeah, I think that is something that exists yeah, in that East makes, Asia for sure. So that makes me feel like not being able to master life in the States means I'm a failure. Yeah. Doesn't mean that it's neutral like I would experience in other Asian countries. I think that's totally fair. I don't think this is that sensitive of a topic. Like America is like the 100-pound gorilla just like trying to make everyone aware that it exists. And it's this weird country where anyone can become American. But I think the flip Mm. side of that is when you're in America, you're just not yet American enough, right? Mm -hmm. So the assumption, I think, like, this is the good thing is, like, people do accept you as just you're one of us. You're part of the American machine. Whereas, like, in Taiwan, I think... It's almost a blessing sometimes. It's like, I'm not Taiwanese. I'm also never going to be accepted as like Taiwanese. Whereas like you just show up in the U.S. There's so many Asians. And I expect you to understand how this works. Yeah. I expect you to understand how to order in Subway. Well, that's the flip side of you can be American as long as you put in the effort to like try to become Mm -hmm. that as an aspiration and that's like such a well-worn script and path for hundreds of years of immigrants okay does that resonate yeah yeah maybe well i i think yeah i i think it pairs with the idea of what what you were saying is you put america on a pedestal and then when you're not succeeding there you're just not good enough Mm -hmm. yep that's my script right um, but things ha- doesn't have to be this way. I, 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 I knew so many like non-Americans. They're just like fine with not being able to 
mastering yeah. life in the U.S. Like, I think your sister would be totally chill in America. No. She, she would... She, she would she get frustrated when she can't doesn't know how to order. Like she does definitely judge himself herself. But like when I was studying in my master's program and we have European students, they does not give a fuck about <laughs> mastering American culture. Yeah. Um, they do not. Damn, my English so it's annoying. It's the Western energy. It's like yeah, I've figured out. And I think it's traveling as an American is one of the greatest privileges in the world. Because everyone is trying to learn English for travel purposes. Why do your why does your dad learn English? So he can travel to Europe. Right? That's kind of weird. Like if you want to go to Austria, you learn English as the travel language. And it's um yeah, it, it's kind of this thing as an American, you don't realize how hard it is not growing up in an English speaking culture. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that you understand this. Yeah. But I also, like, I want to learn the language better in Taiwan, and I mm -hmm. feel bad here, too. Okay. It doesn't bother me as much, I think. Maybe that is a good transition to our second thing, like the influence yeah. of language. Yeah. So we, one of the reasons we want to come back to Taiwan this time is to, like, like maybe, like, my parents will be able to see Michelle more during this three months. And then Michelle, even though she can't speak Chinese yet, we, she'll be able to immerse herself in the Chinese environment. And we were in the States. I was telling Paul, like, how aggressive Taiwanese parents can be in, like, educating their kids or disciplining them. And so turns out things are not as bad, but it's also not as good as, I, as Paul thought. So it's not as bad in terms of like people won't just randomly hit kids on the street or like use like or like use like bad words to curse them, but it's way more immersive than I thought in like any situation that you can think of. So like the other day, it's thundering and it was raining, and I heard my mom told Mich told Michelle, "Oh my gosh, thundering! The god of thunder is getting angry. Behave well because otherwise he might took you, he <laughs> might take you." Yeah. And or like. Um, there's a lot of threat. There's a lot of threats. In the way people communicate to children. But people are not aware that they're threats. Yeah. Can I keep it's naming? Just, or Yeah, yeah. More like, examples. Like, our daughter is not sleeping through the nights recently. And then, so I was telling my mom this. And I heard my mom told, my, told, told Michelle that you got to, um, if you keep waking up in the middle of the night, your, your mom will tie you up. And I was like, Mom, I won't tie her up. What are you talking about? Grandma's joking. And to Don't be clear, no one grandma. gets tied up. Yeah, <laughs> no one gets tied up. Or like my dad will say, oh, the police is going to take you away if you are not behaving well. Yeah. Just all the threats is like everywhere and make me really concerned. Like how much Chinese do I want to teach my kid? Yeah, and I think for you, you're hypersensitive to that stuff mm -hmm. even more than most people. Other people just like, ah, whatever, that's just what people say, mm -hmm. right? Um, and to an American, it's definitely shocking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's so casual. Um, but it also makes sense. I think, like, the rapid change Taiwan went through and how recent it was under martial law. Mm -hmm. Like, there's so much, like, violence submerged, like, within the culture that is kind of absorbed in like how people treat children and how people treat each other mm -hmm. and like some of the fears 
Um, yeah, the other day I did. I don't know if I hear it wrong, but it's Ghost Month in Taiwan, and so I think I hear a broadcast like when I was in a shopping mall. It said the government reminds, uh, kindly reminds everyone, do not do every anything bad, otherwise the ghost might come to you. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> the government, yeah, <laughs> or like government kindly provides you this table in front of your in front of your door so you can burn incense for the ghost. It's just I I mean like rationally like I mean like academically I read how this this level of control in every neighborhood was passed down from the Japanese era, but it was it wasn't until this time that I really observed how immersive it is. Like every every few corners, you will see a little stand. It's called the community stand, where people will like volunteer to watch out for the bad guys in the community. Or like you pass by kindergarten and you'll see signs of like discipline, respect, love, and like behave well as <laughs> slogans on their kindergarten. Yeah. Or like when you go to swimming pool and you hear the swimming pool um, management team will say, "We're broadcasting. Please do not run around the swimming pool." And the kid wearing the red cap, do not do that again. Or I warn you, you have to leave. And I was like, I I can't even imagine. Hearing this kind of broadcast in the American swimming pool, people will be outrageous. But this type, like this, people take this type of control and this type of like surveillance for granted. It's yeah. like I have the right to discipline you, to control you, and yeah. it's like a mutual agreement. Following the rules is mm -hmm. so important. I think this is one of the hardest things to adjust to living in Taiwan. Is there's so many rules for everything. And then if you're not following like some code or rule, and to be fair, like a lot of the rules are explicit, but like somebody will inform you, oh, you have to do this, or like mm -hmm. you have to wear a swim cap. Mm -hmm. So get very concerned. Like we were with friends, and their kid was swimming in a swimming pool, and the person's like hardly even watching the kid. But then the kid's swim cap come off, right? And he's like, gotta have the swim cap. And then inform the parents that the swim cap came off. It's like okay. We're gonna be okay. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's just like more wiggle room for like um, discretion of like how you follow the rules in the U.S., which also makes it hard in the U.S. You don't know what you're supposed to do, and mm -hmm. navigating that. Mm -hmm. I think this time something like just the first the first day when we were boarding on the flight to Taiwan, I started to feel like a surging rage and frustration. Rising within me because I realized this is like how I feel that I wasn't able to stand up for myself mm. in the states. That's why I always feel like I am this like timid little Asian girl because this is the way our culture want us to ask. Like when we're on the flight, the China airline flight attendant just keep apologizing for everything that even it's the fault of passenger. And here in like Seven Eleven or everywhere, people just Always apologizing. I cannot even imagine an American airline flight <laughs> apologize to a passenger. Nah, they don't care. <laughs> <laughs> like this, this way of treating ourselves. Like make huh? What do they say? Make no, no, they say sorry. Oh, like uh, no, like you know, in the states, if people pass by me and hit me, I would be the. I will be. I will say. I will say. I'm sorry. And I'll be like, what the fuck am I saying? I'm sorry well, about it. Well, it's going to vary if you're in, like, New York versus the South. But No, like, I will be, I will assume that it's my fault. Uh -oh, and yeah. 
I will be upset at myself. But then I see it's everywhere in Taiwan. Yeah. Like people assume it's their fault. People assume that they need to apologize. And I'm yeah. so angry. Like this is the culture that made me who I am today. Like completely yeah. giving the responsibility to my culture, not me. Yeah, and it's it's super hard, right? I mean, the way you grew up in schools is you had to dress the same, you had to have the same、mm-hmm. haircut, you had to act the same, you had to have certain behaviors, and you were like in these schools where like people could literally see over you. And we're always told that、sides. we are burdens, that it's all our、yeah. fault. It's not never the other person's fault. Like when I was in Seven Eleven, oh my god, I start raining now. Last rent when I was in Seven <laughs> Eleven, there was a kid playing. In front of me, because he's a kid, of course, and then his mom just fiercely dragged him away and said, "Did you see that you're blocking other people?" And I was like, "That's okay, he's fine." And I was like, "Damn, like、yeah. this is how kids internalize. They are a burden. They're always at fault." Yeah, and I think the thing I keep reminding you though is like, the our children are going to spend time with us. They're going to see how we behave, right?、Um, But yeah, it, it does make different choices down the road with schools.、Mm-hmm. Um, I think pretty clear for us.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, we're like even like the masks, like、um, having to wear masks still, even though there's no mask mandate. It's、mm-hmm. like I think sometimes people are looking for rules to follow. But yeah, we we don't have to go down that.、Um, let's see. So, we wanted to do a segment of celebrating the other person. Do you want to do this now, or do you, do you want to cover more stuff?、Mm, let's cover other stuff, maybe.、Well. So we talk about work a lot, but we didn't really go into details of how, after we go remote and traveling, how、yeah. do we do this share responsibility thing? Yeah. So I think for the first. Four months, I was just dropping the ball on everything, and mostly focusing on parenting and helping you. You're definitely full time.、Um, you're basically just like doing art and writing for fun when you felt like it, but you were definitely full time. And then, I think coming to Taiwan, like we're feeling more stable. She's six months. We're able to get a little help here. I'm trying to find my work routine. I think one realization for me is like I need to leave the house. One is I like being with my daughter,、um, but if I'm just going over to her and picking her up every ten minutes, I don't actually do anything.、Mm-hmm. Um, so I haven't accomplished much. So I think leaving and finding another place has been really helpful for me. But also, both of us have been used to just doing whatever we want every day for five years, <laughs> and actually putting in some structure. I think has been helpful for us in communicating that on a week to week, but. I think、mm-hmm. it's still a work in progress.、Mm-hmm. And I think like for me, it's like even if I don't go out to work or like do creative project, it's so important for me to have a dedicated corner in the house. Like when I was putting my laptop in the in the dining room where Michelle is next to me, I like you. I want to play with her, or I just use her as an excuse to to、uh, distract myself. But then I order this twenty dollar. Table and I put it in a room where I can close the room and just trusting that Michelle is in good care with you. I will be able to go into flow and finish the task that is on my to do list for three weeks in like thirty minutes. And so, like, I think understanding our needs and what put us in flow and like really supporting each other and like really put that into a very clear, defined 
way of execution is so important too to us when we travel. Yeah. How do you think that's going to change over time? Like as our daughter sleeps less and needs more attention and how do you think we're going to balance all this? We will let our future self figure out. <laughs> I think that's a big difference between us is like you don't like thinking about the future. That's just another topic for the next episode. <laughs> All right. The next episode, ADHD, time horizon, <laughs> how, we think about, how we think about the future. Uh-huh. But so like how I think one thing that people might be wondering is how do we make friends or find social support when we travel? Are people wondering that? Leave comments below. But um, yeah, I mean, in Taiwan, I'm really not prioritizing friends. Um, I have four or five friends I know in Taiwan, and I'm just catching up with them. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I think we're thinking differently. It's like, I don't know. Still trying to find like families who are traveling with kids. I think that's yeah. something we're struggling to find. We're going to be in Barcelona in a couple months and then back to Austin. So if you are a family um, with kids that want to hang out, let us yeah. know. But, I just want to say like being intentional, this thing. Yeah. Like I, because Taiwan is so familiar to me, I can just go into them and I'm just hanging out with my friends who is not nomad. But then I'll always be wondering what is it like if we want to return to Taiwan for a year in the future? How do we register mission in school? We should be adapting. So like, making extra effort to connecting with nomad family in Taiwan. Just this one conversation opened up so many different ideas I have and like learning what are the ups and down, upside and downside of like registering kids in a Chinese school or versus nice. like experimental Shout out schools. to Jenny and Lisa, yeah. former guests so much. on Thank the podcast. Thank you so much. <laughs> and like my friend Kelly connected this connected with David who is running this digital nomad project in Taiwan. Like, Without knowing him, I wouldn't be able to come connect with other digital nomads, I think. But now, because of him, we're going on a trip to this rural part of Taiwan and then just hanging out in a shared house with maybe 10 other different nomads. And then we're going to learn about how they plan their life, how they plan their kids' education around the world, and how do they think of like their long-term and short-term um, life planning. And this is a one small, not... Uh, small like connection dot can open up to so many different possibilities and like ways of imagination in our life and so I feel like this intentionality is so important when we're traveling yeah I think it's not that we're seeking out nomad families it's that people who are nomadic and expats have to think intentionally about how they're structuring their lives and like all that's just good information mm -hmm. so super valuable yeah, so still um, a lot that we wanted to cover, but our time is up, and we will save it for. We're the gonna next close episode. with, uh, say one thing, uh, that you want to celebrate the other person. Okay, I. This <laughs> is so hard. <laughs> celebrate! I, I celebrate you. Celebrate what? Okay, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think like I celebrate your, in wonder again in Taiwan and I think and this and this is a great opportunity to see a different side of you and also just like this is a great way for me to lean into conflict more to like embrace conflict more because we have to talk about this hard thing that we didn't like we didn't maybe have to talk about when we were in the states and 
because of stepping into those conflict and conversation, I see a different side of me, and I feel like better about myself too. This is how I celebrate you. Awesome, I celebrate your、uh, movements toward writing and、uh, taking that more seriously. I am making a prediction that that's going to lead somewhere really interesting. I、and、think so too. We'll revisit this, but I'm also just celebrating how wonderful、uh, you are with Michelle in Taiwan, and <sighs> how many amazing things you're doing with her. The swim classes and just fun days you have planned for her and us. It's、uh, awesome to watch. I love it. Accept the compliments, Angie. Accept it. <laughs> awesome. So that's today's episode. Thank you.、Uh, if you have any questions or comments, I'd love to hear them. Uh, we're gonna keep doing these.、Uh, maybe another one before we leave Taiwan. But、um, thanks, everyone. Anything you want to add? No, this is good. Thank you so much for watching and listening to our episode. Awesome. Peace out. Thank you for listening to the Pathless Path. I love having these conversations, and if you want to support me, you can rate, review, or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can also follow me on YouTube, where I post all the video interviews of this podcast as well. Finally, you can always support me by buying my book, *The Pathless Path*. It's a book I'm really proud of, and has most of my best thinking and probably my best writing in it. And you can get it for less than twenty bucks. So grab that; it's in the show notes. And thank you for listening.